0: What's up, fuckers? Another week. It's uh, Sunday here. I know when you're listening, this is probably Monday or whenever you get to it. But hey, fuck it. You know what? Welcome here to the uh, Inside the GM Studio podcast all about the tabletop RPG hobby. Mostly centered for the game masters, but the players, you're always fucking welcome. I'm your host, Matt.
1: I am uh, David.
0: And this week, we... Have a head shit for playing. I didn't have Shadowrun on Wednesday. We didn't have Curse of Strahd yesterday.
1: No, no, I'm I'm a little worried that we're going to get out of the habit, but it just gives us time to talk about other stuff. I'm ruminating about the game and kind of uh, trying to uh, plan for the next stage of the adventure here. So, I mean, it's, that's good. I'm prepping, but trying to not get too deep in the weeds it seems like we really just can't play something if we're not going to play curse of trod it's just, right yeah see, yeah every time we try to do it it doesn't really seem to work out so that's fine though nope. i mean
0: yeah it's because we have uh like I, the only two real gamers we have is chris well chris chris is the only real gamer we have beto's into role-playing cool not really a big gamer. But he's always adventurous about trying stuff. But then Mike and Patrick, they're just not gamers. For some reason, they like to play the Curse of Strahd campaign, and that's it. They have no real interest in anything else,
1: which is fine. It's totally cool. Well, I mean, I get it. It's not an investment in an overarching plot. To me, my enthusiasm kind of dwindles for something that I know I'm going to play one time. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially, I think you and I look at it like when you've been playing a long time, you go trying new stuff out is an investment in future considerations, mm-hmm. but in particular, Pat and Patrick,
2: and excuse me,
1: man, I'm really like, Jesus, vomiting Christ. all kinds of shit out of my <laughs> head today. Um, Patrick and Mike, well, they don't really think in those terms. They're just like, well, this campaign is what we're doing, mm-hmm. and if it's not furthering that, then what do I care? And so that makes sense but uh and i'm fine with it really i mean i like to i like to stay in one lane i'm I'm with them i don't i want to do stuff that like i want to get through a campaign mm-hmm. i've never done that ever like gotten through a campaign where the the story either just resolved itself or you hit the level cap i've never right. done that ever in all my years of gaming it always fizzles out in some way it's nice it is i'm I wanna I wanna do that. we we'll just uh talk about other shit. That's fine. Yeah. communications, oh. emails, whatever.
0: So yeah, we've uh I got some news that I wanted to bring up, just a little like catch up on some of the news that's coming out recently. Starting with the D and d one uh playtest, that's they continuously been putting stuff out for free. They have a, almost an entire uh players handbook out online for free right now. Let's see what is it? It's they have fifty pages right now. Uh, They still haven't added in because they want to do the survey for the Paladin and the Druid as well as there's some of the other ones that they haven't gotten to yet, but I wanted to look up the warlock first of all, because they said the warlock is going to be going through some of the biggest changes and boy, holy shit. I, I like it. I like what they're doing. Getting rid of pack magic, no more getting your spell slots back at after a short rest. Which okay. I always kind of liked. I kind of liked that. But they're uh, helping you out by giving you more spell slots. Um, also, you get your packed boon at first level now uh, instead of second level. And this is where it, uh, it gets kind of interesting, which I thought. So when I was looking, because uh, they also have your class group that you're part of, because now you're part of, uh, what is it? It's warrior, priest, mage. Something like that, and then there's uh, uh, expert classes as well, which is the ranger, bard, and some uh, some of the others. So warlock is still under the class group mage. Uh, primary abilities: intelligence, wisdom, or charisma. So three. Everyone else just has their two. I was like, okay, well, that's kind of cool. What are they going to do with that? Um, it all has to do with whichever pact you're taking. So Pact of the Blade, your spellcasting ability is either Wisdom or Charisma. If you pick Pact of the Chain, it's Intelligence or Charisma. And Pact of the Tome is Intelligence or Wisdom. Which I kind of dig, because I, I always like uh, um, being able to choose and really mess with shit, mix and match. And also, this makes Warlock like the one of the multi-class classes now. Which I just find... Uh, interesting as well as keeping with the invocations uh other than that everything else is still pretty much the same uh except for you get medium armor instead of just light armor now you also get your proficient medium armor as well as what was the other thing i saw here mystic arcanum is still the same thing ah here it is a level 11 feature contact patron i thought that was pretty fucking cool Mm mm-hmm Uh, allowing a warlock to contact their patron directly. But other than that, it's all pretty much the same. Uh, The same thing that they've been saying forever is that they want all this shit to be still compatible with regular 5th edition. So, But uh, that was one that I was reading through that I thought was actually the changes in it. Like I said, I did really like pack magic. I liked the spells after a short rest. I'm kind of digging what they're doing with, uh, with the Warlock being more of a versatile class. Uh, it
1: seems to be eliminating something that makes the Warlock unique precisely because people are drawn to the flavor of the Warlock. Dark, kind of uh, moody, mm-hmm. gothy kind of feel. But it seems like many people don't know how to really make the best use of that class. So I'm generally not in favor of something that kind of removes what makes a certain class distinct. And the pack magic makes a class distinct. And so it's just like, you're going to homogenize everything to the point where it... You get, they're getting closer to back what it was with 4th edition, which is like, you just... All of the classes, depending on whether you're a striker, defender, healer, or controller... Just get similar features and it's Mm. like, well, that just. I also don't buy the whole. It's different, but it's the same. It it, it seems to really undermine Is it different? Is it a new thing? Are you changing it? Or are you trying to say everybody that. It seems like a marketing ploy. Everybody that's been playing fifth edition can continue to play this. It's the same. So don't go away. Don't, you know, buy the new books. But it's also different enough to justify buying the new books. It's like, that's a, it's different but the same. It's, it's just a real, it seems like a cheap marketing tactic to me.
0: Yeah, Oh, it totally is. Uh, but I can see what they're saying is because monsters aren't changing, they're still going to be made the same way. So you can use new characters in, like if you wanted to pick up Lost Mind of Phandelver, you don't have to change anything it'll run just fine with these new characters and with the new D&D 1 rule set.
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm probably not going to switch at this point. We're to the point now where, hell, some of our group didn't even know the 5th edition rules well enough to not ever forget things. I'd have to be sold on the idea that it improves, not mm-hmm. just changed, it's different, but in what ways is it an improvement? You said, okay, there is... A little bit more flexibility in character do, creation. But it's a trade-off. Everything's a trade-off, right? Mm-hmm. And in order for it to be a trade-off, it can't just be trading one thing for another. It's like, well, it's different. There's no longer pack magic. It's like, okay, that's different, but is it better? Is the trade-off an improvement upon what... And, and I'm skeptical that most of the trade-offs will be an improvement. They'll just be satiating the desire for people to have something different. Mm. And I I don't know that I really give that much of a shit about it because the (laughs) the core of the game is, well, the core of the game is the same. It's like, well, then why are you changing shit? It's like, well, I know what the answer to that is, is like, well, sales of D&D books have probably stalled out Mm -hmm. and there's only so much like uh, supplemental material that you can put out. Well, it's been a few years now and uh, well, we're running out of creative power to continue to put out campaigns and everything. And they're just going to do what they did with, with fifth edition, which is like, Oh, now there's like a fifth edition and fourth edition compatible adventure. And so whatever it is that you're like a legacy player, you can, cause they're worried about the third edition thing, the pathfinder effect, which is people that like third edition and, or 3.5 as they mm-hmm. called it, which is just whatever. It's an errata to the edition. Those people did not convert to fourth edition. They were like, fuck no. this. This is completely different. We're going to go play Pathfinder. And they lost a lot of business. Mm-hmm. They gained a lot of new business by tapping into that World of Warcraft kind of mentality. But they wanted to get those people back with 5th edition. So that was a good jump. They they strayed too far away from their core legacy. They went a little back, back toward it. They kept the good things that 5th edition had. It was an improvement. Now that they're worried about that happening again i'm not con- i'm not convinced that the juice is worth the squeeze that the extra effort really made much of an improvement upon the game and so i i'm just highly skeptical i mean maybe maybe you'll i mean if they put a bunch of free material out i mean it's not necessarily bad to like look over it but just like with everything before like i put the basic core rules out and you can just play the game that way it's mm-hmm. like yeah you can but you really can't if you want the best versions of everything are paid for, and that's mm. perfectly legitimate business model. I'm not suggesting otherwise they don't need to release anything for free and so but it is in their best interest and so it's a the free core stuff is just there as like a, the first taste is free kind of yeah. thing well you like know, I said, this is still just game
0: play test this isn't even official basic stuff yet
1: so we'll see I mean mm. I, like I said, I don't think I would endeavor. To assimilate our group into it, maybe once, even once we complete this campaign. If we complete this campaign, I don't think I would bother switching at this point because it's just you know, it would just add more confusion and it's like oh it doesn't work that way anymore whatever whatever it's a-
0: yeah I don't even know I've I haven't bought anything for D and D in so long mm-hmm. and since I don't even really. I don't run D&D anymore. I don't even know if I would even bother to even look at the free stuff when it comes out later. Mm -hmm. Maybe that would be it. Like if I just got like the free basic rules out and I'd run something from that, but I don't know if I'd ever buy the books again.
1: I mean, we could, you know, I bandied around the idea of alternating adventures after Strahd with you if you wanted to run, but it doesn't seem like you really are all that eager to run the campaign it seems like a nice break for you from running shit to actually play in the game when i'm fine to be the dm constantly mm. but
0: i would love to it's just that with our group i don't think they would because i wouldn't want to run D and run i don't it. think our group would want that
1: yeah i mean if we were going to do I, I meant like we did before like i kind of liked that when we like traded off and it was like this collective storytelling oh, yeah. effort between us that was cool but if you don't Want to run D and D? That is what we, you know, should stick to and mm. should be running. And so, if you don't have any interest in that, you're more interested in playing in a D and D game than running a D and D game. Then I'll just stick up, you know, stick with uh running the campaign. Yeah. If I, I ever I mean. get
0: like that, uh, that crazy creative strike, and I, I think of something, I'll definitely let you know. Huh. But yeah, I just every time I think of like trying to create with the D and D rules right now just because i run so rules light now and i can mm-hmm. come up with stuff like on the spot it just makes me think wow i gotta sit down and actually do something nah <laughs> and then it just starts to sound like work and then you know me i'm a i'm fat and lazy dude i don't want to do that shit yeah, so but the, who, who the knows every now and then difficult. i feel i get really creative and i say i got a story that i gotta tell so maybe i will take you up on that
1: offer yeah i mean i for the sake of consistency, if you're not interested, it's fine. It, it seems like it's a nice break for you to play in the game. It is. And, it's very nice. And that's very cool. Like I like. I, I'm. I've been on the fence about whether to run some other campaign after this or to kind of homebrew something. Mm-hmm. Um, homebrew is a lot of work.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that's what I will tell you. Since I've been running ICRPG for a lot of people, homebrewing has been so much fucking easier that I found mm-hmm. the love of it again like actually just creating my own world and doing something that I can just do on the fly. So so I'll let you know that if you do, if you want to sit down and work on something there, you will find that that old itch that you finally get to scratch. And it feels really good.
1: If we were all around a table, I would be perfectly comfortable brewing something, Mm -hmm. but it's the whole, okay, we're going to be playing on roll 20 or foundry or fancy grounds or whatever. I, I gotta have something here i can't just be yeah. talking at them and i can't set up minis on a map and i can't have them rolling i, I have to have that stuff and so that makes it a little more arduous and so i kind of on the fence it's like well you could repurpose you know these maps and everything it's like well but you know if it's going to be a homebrew then i have to populate the dungeons and it's like if they if, okay what about the dynamic lighting mm-hmm. i got to do that by hand or i have to like get things that are imported and then i just have to go through and okay i want to populate the dungeon in this way use the the skeleton of the map but then go through and get rid of all the tokens and repopulate it and like write all the the copy and the stuff like that for it that's damn near as much work as anything so Ooh.
0: and a little bit of news hey there's here's some news on roll 20 that's coming out there finally this is one of the big reasons that i started using foundry in the first place other mm. than you know you just pay a fleet over uh, a fleet Flat a, a flat fee, and you just run it. You know you don't have to pay for anything else if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got all the, the the bells and whistles in it. roll twenty is finally getting doors. Like you can actually set up in the dynamic lighting. This is a door, and it'll have a little yeah. door icon, and the players can open it if they want. But if it's locked, actually, I don't know if they're going to have that function. Foundry has that it, function, so they should.
1: I, I saw that when I last logged in to when when I thought we were going to play on Saturday. Uh, yesterday, I logged in to kind of take a look at uh, White Plume Mountain. I thought I was maybe going to run that. Mm. And I was like, oh, they're open doors now. I was like, yeah, we didn't get with the fucking 21st century roll Yeah, 20. right?
0: Such an easy thing to put in there. Yeah. And they just now do it. And it's like, I still pay these fuckers. I pay $100 a, a year for that Roll20 server. Mm. And it's just like, now you're
1: just now getting to that? Get, yeah, get your, get your fucking act together.
0: Come on, seriously, stop paying for eSports teams and just fucking make your platform better. Next up on the news docket, I thought this was very cool. The folks over at Critical Role, they have their own publishing company now, Darrington Press, uh, and they've already announced some of the things that they have. They have like a deck-building game coming out. Um, I'm not much into deck-building games anymore, so I never really looked into it. But they also have a new live play show coming out called Candle- Can- Candela Obscura. Uh, Candela Obscura is an ongoing horror drama that follows an esoteric order of in- investigators as they use centuries of knowledge to fight back a mysterious source of corruption and bleed. And with this, they've announced uh, the Critical Role crew with their new fucking team, now that they're all multi-millionaires, that... Uh, they're not making just one, but two new rule systems. Candela Obscura will be using their, oh, fuck, what was it called? The Light, light Something uh, system, which is a D6 pool system uh, that was made by two people that have worked on Blades in the Dark back in the day, which I'm a big fan of. I love that game system. So I'm looking forward to this. Talis and Jeff A is going to be uh, running the game with Matthew Mercer, Ashley Johnson, Laura Bailey are all going to be playing with two other uh, voice actors that they know very well that have come in and played on with a Critical Role cast before. And the second rule set is, I believe Matt is making it himself, and this is going to be the new rule set that is going to be taking over Critical Role. They're uh, kind of letting D&D go to the wayside I think that their contracts are up with wizards. So I think mm-hmm. that's one reason why they decided instead of signing again, they just decided to make their own thing. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this Candela Obscura uh, actual play because uh, Talison has run a vampire mini uh, chronicle as well as a Call of Cthulhu mini campaign that I thought were really good. He's really good at the dark and mysterious uh sort of vibe so i'm looking forward to seeing this watching this listening to it and uh learning about their new system and i can't wait for this whatever the second campaign or the second rule set that comes out i really want to know what that's going to be like uh and if they're going to be going down the same roll road that like kobold is, where it's pretty much just a fiving cough and we're just like why the fuck so you added luck points big fucking deal it's the same fucking thing you're just doing a pathfinder fuck off but that's it for news, really. Oh, Illuminated World, that's what it's called. Read your notes, Matt. Read the show notes. Illuminated World, that's the name of the rule set. Well, but it
1: makes sense. Candela
0: Obscura. Yeah, there you go, right? But with, uh, with the news out of the way, let's go ahead and get to a community question. Dave, roll us a D20, will you? Seven?
2: Seven. Seven.
1: I should get my metal dice, man. I haven't used those since we played in person. Ooh. I bought them. I was like, oh, I got some metal dice. No shit. was on fleet.
0: (laughs) All right. This one comes from, what the fuck is that?
1: Don't do it. Just don't. You shouldn't do that. Yearn in nerd.
2: (laughs) Yearn in nerd.
0: The title of this is, is it time to quit? Hey, GMs, I've run a sandbox campaign. Stop that. I hate it when you fucking say it. Just don't. I run a sandbox campaign and a homebrew for the better part of two years with the same group. Lately, I'm having a problem with attendance. I'm not sure if it's me, the campaign itself, or the players. We used to play in person, but I moved states and now we play online. I make custom maps, create NPCs, and incorporate PC backgrounds into the campaign. The current arc is all player generated. We use Discord for campaign management, and which allows me to create events and rem- reminders. But none of that seems to help. I've had one player no-show twice, the two of the last three games, and another player just forget we were playing at our regular time. But we could see him playing the new Star Wars game. Thank you, Discord. I consider a pretty, uh, I consider a pretty level-headed. I'm considered a pr- pretty level-headed individual. I know this is a hobby. I don't think you get to decide that. People decide <laughs> that for you. <laughs> I know this is a hobby, and we're all adults with important lives that doesn't involve playing make-believe, but m- lately I feel like the group isn't in this game anymore. I love running games. I've played into this hobby for decades, but when it feels like the players aren't into the campaign, it drains my energy to continue. I enjoy this group a lot, but maybe, maybe it's time... Wait, hold on. Oh. I mean, this group a lot, but maybe our time playing together has ended. They said a r e Our time right. playing together has ended. Honestly, I'm not sure. Anyone deal with something like this? How did you handle it? Thanks in advance.
1: Oh, hey, a question that's not um, lacking self-awareness. Mm-hmm. A question that isn't really touching on something that is a deeper problem it really is just a straightforward question that seems to have touched on all of the elements, right? You know, I know we're adults, (laughs) you know? uh, Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that is unfortunately probably something that can happen. Yeah. We've talked
0: about before we've talked about GM burnout, but Mm -hmm. player burnout can be a thing
1: as well. Right. And so, I suspect it's probably because something in the campaign has gotten stale and you won't know what that is unless you, you know, do the thing that we always say, like talk to your group. Mm -hmm. Now, do it's easy to get frustrated when people aren't showing up, but you have to take ownership of that. People that are interested in something don't typically flake out on the thing that they're interested in and your job as a GM is to make the game interesting. So you need to troubleshoot. What about it is not grabbing the player's attention enough to want to bother? Is it really just an issue of conflicting schedules? They can't make time for it, and they don't want to make time for it. Players will typically... I mean, this goes against our adage of players prefer a game to no game. Maybe if they're just over the whole role-playing thing, Maybe they don't prefer a game to no game. Maybe there are things in their life that they don't place a high priority on. Gaming. And, you know, I'm not unsympathetic to that. Sometimes when we cancel a game for the week, I'm like, oh, well, give me more time to catch up on my writing or mm-hmm. finish that book I've mean, meaning to be doing. And if I do it for a few weeks, I'm like, oh, okay, I gotta, like do all these other things that I really like to do, like spend more time at the pool hall and and, you know, whatever. So... Sometimes players do just outgrow gaming. I know I did for several years. I was just kind of over it. I'm like, eh, I don't really fucking this does work. And, and it just feels like an obligation. And if it feels that way, it's because your game has gotten stale. Maybe it's the game that you're running. Maybe it's the characters. Maybe it is uh, something about the dynamic at the table. You won't know that unless we talk to your play. Two years seems fast, though, to me. Like, I don't know, maybe maybe it doesn't seem fast to you, but like two years, if you went from fresh new group to two years in, then where are you at in the campaign? How can you liven it up? And if you can't, maybe it's time to sunset these characters and see if your players are interested in doing something different, a different style of game, horror game instead of fantasy or whatever. Uh, maybe a different rule system. Maybe they're just kind of burned out on on a certain mechanic. I mean, that seems weird to me, but I know some players do get that way. They just kind of go, yeah, I'm just kind of over whatever. They want something fresh and new. Um, but maybe it really is just they don't really have much of an interest in maintaining the game to right. varying degrees. Maybe one or two players don't place it as a priority and maybe the other players are picking up on that and they feel like, oh, you know, they're not all that interested. I'm not invested because they are not invested. You want to have a certain synergy and, and energy at the table. And sometimes that uh, if you feel like all, like one player feels like another player is nonplussed, then that dynamic doesn't really isn't infectious you want like players that foster an infectious dynamic where their enthusiasm spills over onto other people. Uh, one of our players, Patrick, is a notoriously nonplussed player. When he's, when he's there, he seems whatever, but he, he does show up. And so you, just, you have no choice but to assume, well, he keeps showing up and he keeps inquiring about the game, so he must be interested. But when he's there, it almost kind of seems like he couldn't really care less if he mm-hmm. is there. But he does show up. So part of that is just his temperament. Some players aren't really all that um, lively, uh, talking or whatever. But they're they're enjoying. Like Patrick is a kind of player. Like oh, I'm really enjoying, it. just immensely enjoyable. Oh, I really like. It. You know, it's like huh? okay, that's <laughs> fine. Uh, so perhaps if you have a group text, you have a WhatsApp, you have a Discord. It's not an issue of a miscommunication. It's an issue of bringing things out into the open. Try letting your players know that you're getting frustrated with the general lack of will to continue on with the campaign. Mm-hmm. Let them know that you feel like if you don't make an effort, that the game won't happen. That that's We've all likely probably had a friend where you felt this, like if I don't contact this person and ask them to hang out, and I never texted or called them again, would we stop being friends? I actually have a friend where I tested this theory out, and the answer was yes. If I just stop making an effort, then you go, look, well, that person's not my friend. You know, And that's kind of a hard thing to deal with, but you're better to have that clarity. Let your your pals know. I assume if you're playing with them, they're friends of yours. Maybe they look at it like uh, it's not. Maybe they look at it like being on a sports team and they're just kind of over that obligation. And it could be that you as a GM might be ready to move on to a different campaign with Mm. a completely different group or maybe some of the same players. uh, You know, talk to them and ask them like, hey, I don't want to cut you out of the game, but it doesn't seem like you're really into this either individually or just as a group, have a group conversation. And that might require you taking a little time. That would be earmarked for a session to just talk through it. I I don't know why so many people are asking the internet things that uh, the answer seems to be frequently, why aren't you talking to your players about this? I think they just need validation. What's that?
0: I think that what they really want is just validation to let them know that it's okay to talk to them you're not going to really hurt feelings. And even if you no, do, it's,
1: it's all right. It's fine. But so, so many of things are just like, is there just like a whole generation of people that just are so anxious and neurotic about like talking about something that might be a problem for them? Like do you, you, you feel attacked if someone says, Hey man, it doesn't really seem like you're interested in this. Someone's interested in a You're talking to someone and they don't seem like they're interested in the conversation. Generally, you would just go, oh, okay, I don't need to talk to them about that. I could just stop talking to them. Mm -hmm. But if you're having like you're having a problem with something rather than try to troubleshoot it on the back end. What is the big aversion to just confronting the problem head on in a calm and direct way? I don't understand this.
0: I got to think that. Perhaps if they are all really good friends. That the players, whenever he confronts them, maybe they are—they just don't want to hurt his feelings or their feelings. Whoever this is, uh, and they just
1: be like, "Oh no, we're totally in." You know, just stuff's going on. So but stated, but it's stated preference versus revealed preference. Mm-hmm. If somebody says to me, "I am really enjoying this conversation," and you go, "Well, it doesn't seem like it," you're—you're you're one, you're looking at your phone. Two, your body language is like oriented against me you're yawning, you seem distracted. You, you generally take people's actions to be more honest in their words. Mm. So if someone's not showing up, or maybe he didn't make any commentary on like when they actually do play, what the general engagement is.
0: Well, yeah, it, that was what I was going to bring up, is he said in here that uh, they just recently switched from in-person to online because he moved out of state.
1: It's very possible that they have, they didn't want to say, well, well, the game, I guess, is just ostensibly over. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, is that everybody, this is why I hate playing online. It's really easy to be distracted. Ooh, you know, yeah. like, oh, my cat needs food, or whatever. My ki- my kids are yelling at me. My old lady is like, whatever. Like, oh, I'm I'm joining via phone. It's like, eh. I try to cloister myself as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Put myself in an environment that would be like sitting around a table with someone, but. You're not ever talking to an individual person. You're talking at a computer, especially when you're playing a game. Like right now, I'm talking to you. I'm looking at you. I'm talking in the mic. But if there's when we're gaming, it's like I'm just talking at the group. Yeah. And that's not really um, the best way to keep someone's attention. And so you're in an environment where you have more distractions and you don't actually remove yourself for a specific purpose. It can be whatever. And maybe they just don't like gaming online. Maybe you need to find players that want to game with you online and are more engaged.
0: You know, I think that's why when I first started playing online, uh, when the camera function like first became a big thing on Roll20, uh, I made sure, you know, I was just like, hey, guys, if you can, please, you know, get your cameras up and running because it made me feel more like engaged with them. Now, it doesn't yeah. always happen because some people are just like, no, fuck that. I don't want my camera on or I can't be bothered to do that. But it's just like, if you just try these little things to help bring the engagement in, it can make the game a lot more fulfilling, a little bit more intimate. And uh, yeah, it's just the little things like that. But some people, like I said, they just can't be bothered. And well, well it happens.
1: I, yeah, I mean, it does happen. I've never heard of... I mean, it's unfortunate for this question asker because in a lot of ways, I am the kind of DM that's like when I find a player that suits my game, suits my sensibilities, likes my play style, mm-hmm. to me, it's just like such a rare thing. Having known people that played D&D and having no read the internet, talk, go to game shops, and just generally seeing what the boilerplate table stakes type of player is. I try to do everything I can to keep a player and that pays dividends. Usually I try to get people that I like. I already know I like their company and I already suspect that maybe they might like this thing that I like. And I rope them into this world of D and D or pool or poker bondage or whatever <laughs> like the things that i like i just like you're gonna do this now because you'll like it and they go like man i fucking like that I'm like yes awesome you're awesome and this thing is awesome so like let's just do it together and mm-hmm. i try to hold on like by dear life i don't remember the last time well i mean i probably do but the last time i lost a player and my cousin cody's a great example like i could poke at him tomorrow while playing D with me and he'd be like yes let's do it right <laughs> mm-hmm And so because we have that and so good players are invaluable, but if they're not as invested in the game as you are. As much as they might be friends or whatever, you just go like, well, it's just differing levels of interest and there's no hard feelings, but I need players that that are that are enthusiastic about my game. I put time and energy and thought and earmark in my schedule time for this bullshit. Kitty bullshit mm. but I love it and I want to keep doing it and I want people to be enthusiastic about it and if they're not then it's like okay that's that's great you know I try to check in with, with our group on a regular basis because we have a couple of players Mike and Mike and Patrick who are really not like all like yay but they keep showing up and it's like okay do you, you like this then I assume that your behavior is more honest than your word but you need to try to tease onto them honest and direct truth of where their level of enthusiasm is and if you come at to the table going hey i'm i'm sensing a lack of enthusiasm for the game i'm getting juncture where i might be considering sunsetting the game if that's what you guys want i'm i'm okay with it you know i'll find other players and and there's no hard feelings but if there's some things i can do to to make the game more lively whether it's a rule switch whether it's starting new characters whether it's taking the, uh, the story in a different direction. It sounds like the players have largely crafted the story. Maybe your players need more structure. Mm-hmm. Maybe they need you to take the reins of the story and give them something instead of allowing them so much autonomy as to if it doesn't, if it doesn't, ha- if it doesn't come from the players, it doesn't happen. I get that that's some players might feel like that's a lot of work. Like like a fuck. I don't want to. I just want to come and like have the game presented before me and 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 navigate the world and navigate the story. And maybe that's what they need from you. And if you you can either troubleshoot or let them know, like, hey, I'm sensing a lack of enthusiasm and I kind of am thinking about moving on and no hard feelings. But uh, this is kind of what I want from the game. And if it's at odds with what you want from the game, maybe we need to go our separate ways, or maybe we could figure out a way to kind of meet in the middle so that we're both, enth- we're all enthusiastic about the game. But I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a thoughtful question, has a lot of self-awareness. And because of that, I think I'm not providing as substantive and clear answer as the questioner would want.
0: Well, yeah, there's the direct approach that David was talking about. And then if you want to be a little sly about it and see if you can, work these players a little bit uh i know that's totally different that's a horrible way of saying it but just tell them hey i need to take a break you know i think the game needs a break everyone needs some time get their shit going uh and then we'll reconvene at some point never don't set the date just say we'll reconvene at some point give it a little while and the players that are really invested will start asking you hey we know are we gonna get the game going again you know, hey, what's up with the the plans on the game? And then the ones that if they just don't care at all, they won't bring it up at all. Hell, since you moved out of state, they probably won't talk to you at all. So those are the ones you'll be able to figure out is it really worth that we keep going or should you look into getting a new group? But either way, either do it the uh the passive way or the direct. I think the direct route is better, just because I am a big fan of talking to my players about anything when it comes to changing the game or, you know, plans with the game. I'm just more of a direct guy. But if you don't like being direct, if you are a little bit more introverted, you know,
1: I'm an introvert, but I guess I'm just a little bit more direct. That could be a that could be part of the problem though too, is I think that the questioner probably doesn't acknowledge that, which is the the campaign is largely player driven. And he's not confronting his players. Maybe the players need from you for you to to take a little bit of control. Whether you like it or not, if you're running a game, you are doing so precisely because the other players expect you to be the kind of take control person that provides structure. And I get that most people, I get that not all DMs have that temperament. And so part of the reason that I've always gravitated toward GMing is because I have that temperament. Mm -hmm. I am just... The qualities that get me in trouble socially with people make me well-suited to be a a game master, which is like, I was like, well, I'm just going to confront things. I'm going to be direct. I'm going to be concise. I'm going to be no-nonsense. I'm going to be structured, a little bit of a fucking control freak, but then tamp that down by the sensibilities of my players. And I think I've gotten much better about that over the years, but my natural inclinations make me well-suited to be a GM. You, on the other hand, don't have those natural tendencies, or at least you didn't. But I think being a GM has sharpened some of those qualities in you, Mm -hmm. which is you're, you're, you know, I mean, you guys don't, listeners don't know, but Matt's a super easygoing guy it's part of what makes him a great friend is that he's super easy to hang out with. He's just like, yeah, he's like, I'm not going to ruffle any feathers or whatever. But as a GM, I've, I've seen him over the years, kind of sharpen, like his directness and, 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 uh, you know, control of things. And, but he's not naturally the kind of person that would fall into the role of being a GM. And so part of the reason that being a GM is, is, a rewarding thing is it does sharpen other skills that are useful to you in other ways. You can either have the natural temperament like I do, and I probably I probably am a better GM than I am a friend. <laughs> like, like as a friend, anybody that's my friend can know that I'm kind of a liability. It's like I never know what he's going to say. He might rub some other people the wrong way it's like fuck I just when I'm out with this guy like it's better if we just hang out the two of us because I never know what's going to happen but as a GM it's like well I know he'll have shit on lockdown and control and like wrangle in and manage all this shit because that's how his brain is wired and so that's that's great but if you're not the kind of person that has that natural temperament then you might need to poke at your players to be a little more reflective of like can you just be earnest with me about what my shortcomings are do you need more from me and that might be hard because your players don't want you to feel criticized because they legitimately appreciate the fact that you're assuming the responsibility of running the game they're never going to tell you like hey man I'm bored with what it is you're doing and you're you kind of suck they won't say that they will not say that so you have to ask them hey what could I be doing better what is, uh, and you know, I've always been disappointed. I've, I know that I can't be a great DM. Mm-hmm. I, I can't like, I ask my players all the time. What could I be doing better? Like, ah, well, I mean, you're it's pretty good. It's like, and you just, you don't want to browbeat them. Like fucking tell me what's wrong with my game. It's like, <laughs> but if they're happy, they're happy. And if they're not, they're, they're not going to tell you. And so you observe their actions and, and be able to point to things that are specific. This is why I feel like maybe engagement is dropping off. What can I do? And if you put it to them and, and, you know, let them know, like, I am aware there's a problem. You're not saying there's a problem, but I observe that there's a problem. They will probably be like, oh, man, that's really that's really perceptive of him. And like, yeah, maybe I haven't been as direct as I should be. And he's being direct. So let's let's afford him the same kindness and try to be honest. And if you're doing that, then then you're doing your job, and if your player's response is is not to your liking or whatever, maybe it is time to move on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got to be time to move on eventually, right? Oh, yeah.
0: No, definitely. There's been, oh, God, so many times you've you hit that that wall, and you just know, nope, this is over. We're just going to have to either go our separate ways or try something new. And it happens to everybody.
1: And it happens to everybody. Let's move on. Move on.
0: Let's move on to a a let's topic move on that uh to
1: a topic. Let's move on. Matt, you. let's move on. Fuck you. Shut up.
0: Uh this is something that I never thought of until recently uh going into actual game mechanics, of learning the game through actually playing the game. Mm-hmm. I come from the days and I know that Dave does cuz he he's done it a lot to me that uh when you join a game and you've never role played ever before, they just say look at this it's called the player's handbook it's got pretty much everything you need in there and uh i'm going to try to give you either a very quick lowdown of everything that you really need to know to start or i'm going to go into a two-hour uh lecture on how this game works um back in the day dave was somebody that before somebody even picked up dice he kind of went in and he did it with me. I know you've done it with a couple other people that you, as soon as you started going into it, you went through rule by rule by rule mm-hmm. and you never really gave examples at first. You just always kind of threw the rules out there at first so that there was like a bed of, this is what happens.
2: Sure.
0: I was always the kind of guy, whenever I started a game, uh, we would create characters and they were like, all right, how do we play? And I said, you're going to find out. Don't you worry. Here we go we're gonna start and and then they get this look of just like what the fuck no and then of course there's a lot of okay what do i do well you roll this die and then he does this and this and this um since we've been playing so much together recently dave you've had a lot of players and i haven't i wasn't there when beto chris and mike started um with patrick he picked up on the rules so quick that you never really had to give them a lowdown. And everybody else that we've played with has already been pretty um, aware of the rules or they had played games in the past. Are you still one to just kind of lay out the rules at first? Like when it was Chris, Beto, and Mike, how did you get them in and teach them the rules?
1: I, It's funny that you say that and you ask that question is that you got the more trial by fire. Mm. And I suspect that it probably was a little more of a long learning curve and a barrier to entry, but that you likely internalize the rules and the mechanics of the game a little better than some players. Mm. I really did kind of the throw you in the deep end of the pool and just see, like, okay, you're just going to swim and just see how it goes. Part of the reason that I like to give players a foundation of what the rules are without examples is that examples don't define something. Mm I, I'm always going on with this, people. Like, don't give me an example of something. Tell me what it means, and then I'll understand what it means and the circumstances under which it means. If somebody said, "What is food?" and your response to that is, "Well,
2: an example of food is an apple." Okay. Well, so, uh, food is apples. Well, no,
1: food's not just apples. Okay. Like, bread is a food, too. So, food is apples and bread? Well, no, it's not just apples and bread. It's like, okay, tell me what what food is. What is food? And then I will be able to deduce examples. Examples are not useless, but they're not definitions. And in the second edition days, I probably erred a little more on the side of that tactic. Mm -hmm. But to have a more... Um, shorter learning curve I have in recent years aired uh, a little more on the side of okay let's just kind of do this and give you a rough scaffolding of what it is but if you've noticed as I've gravitated toward that Mike and Beto in particular don't seem to know the rules as well right? Uh, unless they do the back work some people are wired for it Patrick is, you say Patrick is not a gamer, but Patrick is a game theory guy. Right, yeah, yeah. If you give Patrick a rule set, he will learn that rule set, and he will figure out the best way to maximize that rule set to his advantage so he can destroy you Mm -hmm. if he's competing against you, or he can be the kind of like thing that he wants to be in the game. That's just plug and play it's easy that's table stakes okay great that kind of person is just like okay here you go um so it depends on the temperament of players as a general rule of thumb i think having some sort of measure of um almost like uh we talked about this before with this kind of training grounds in a video game Mm -hmm. some things work well as that and um I've tried to figure out over the years how I can put my players in a situation where there is some sort of, so they have a basic understanding of how the rules work and then go through a scenario where they might be able to exemplify examples and scenarios where those rules are played out in more close detail. Is that what you do when you get new players because to me getting new players is is one of the most difficult things you can do as a GM is trying to show everybody the rules of the game without it taking like let's spend one entire week of gaming Mm -hmm. just explaining shit to you it's like I want to play just know the shit that I know why can't you know that
0: one thing I'll tell you now that I um like going from D&D to stuff like Savage Worlds and now ICRPG um and how they have new rules that they're trying to do to help teach their system in play I realized that Lost Mine of Phandelver, the very first thing you do in Lost Mine of Phandelver, if you just play it right out of the book, is just that. You're moving along a trail. Your your party is no longer, you know, you meet in a tavern sort of thing anymore. It's, you are a a party that has been together for enough time that you know each other somewhat well. And you guys are all walking on this road. And right there, you can start with, what I want to do now is I just want to do what is you know travel and you can start telling them about when you guys travel this is what i'm going to ask you this is what you can do during this time would you like to do anything now they can all say yes or no they can roll some dice they start to realize you know how that works like okay and now i would like all of you to do what we call perception checks you would roll a d20 plus your perception yada yada all right for those that succeeded i have said a dc of this you see that there is a wagon up ahead and a What looks to be a dead horse next to it, Uh, and then you can go on, and this whole thing is just set up to. At the very end, you have the encounter with the goblins, and right there, there's all this sort of shit that just kind of like encapsulates everything of the the base rules. Like even like, oh, I you know even if a player doesn't even know and says, "I think this looks like it might be a trap," the the DM can be like, "This is great. If you would like, you can roll insight." to see how you really think about it. And you through that, you can really start to
1: give a baseline of what the rules are. Perhaps the best way is just to try to put it out of the player's mind that the mechanics are not important. Mm-hmm. And what's, uh, that's really hard to do and get the players to go, okay, let's just talk in... General terms about like what it is that you want to achieve. Mm -hmm. And then we can handle the mechanics in one way or another. But that tactic doesn't usually leave you um tapping into each different kind of rule set. And so it can just leave big blank spots in what a player knows. I don't I don't know if that's a problem. Until it's a problem, which is to say, I'm pretty sure that our, no one in our group understands how underwater combat works. But you know what? We've never had underwater combat. Mm-hmm. And so when we do, we will cross that bridge. We will cross the bridge of like how underwater combat works or aerial combat. Yeah. How does that work? And so, but as the players get more comfortable with the rules, I think they get more comfortable asking how something works. Mm-hmm. Right out of the gate, You need to give them, throwing them in the deep end of the pool, like, here, we're just going to do this thing, fight this uh, skill challenge, whatever it is, and establish how a certain thing works as it comes up. That's great, because it is probably better than trying to dump a bunch of information on the players all at once, how every single thing works. If they know the core tenets the pillar rules of dungeons and dragons that you roll a d20 that you are trying to get a certain DC that you are doing X in combat. You have an action or reaction, all these pillar things that as a general rule, you round down and not round up. And uh, as a general rule, you can do X, Y, or Z knowing the general rules is important. Knowing a general rule and then knowing Once you know those general rules, you know when there are exceptions to the rules. Mm. Almost every special power a class has is an exception to a general rule. You can attack once on your turn, except if you're a fighter. You get the multi-class or the the multi-attack feature if you're a paladin, if you're a ranger, if you're a fighter, if you're a barbarian, and that's an exception. You can make two attacks instead of And to the point where you internalize that, And you actually know the circumstances under which you can do that. What are the exceptions? When I cast a spell, it expends a spell slot. That is a general rule. Well, on a cantrip is an exception to that rule. A cantrip does not expend a spell slot, but it is a spell. Mm -hmm. And so learning the exceptions is a matter of refining the mechanics. And I think I used to Go, okay, we need to you need to learn everything wall to wall, where it's probably better to go. What are the basic pillars that hold up the scaffolding of the game? Learn those, and then as exceptions come up, we'll deal with them, right? Yeah. Is that the way you go about it too? With oh, with totally yeah. now.
0: Very much so. And hell, even now, I try to simplify things, even when the book or the rules don't say anything. Like now with a uh, since my Shadowrun game has moved to ICRPG there's the the movement and distances you know it's close near far and uh every now and then because it's just like oh well then how far is near i'm just like 30 feet you know in the book there doesn't say anything but it's just 30 feet 30 feet is near up to 30 feet near so yeah it's a pretty easy to do that and i was trying to think of back in the day if we were playing fifth edition, because I don't want to get into the there was way more rules for second edition back in the day.
1: Oh God,
2: if we were yeah.
0: playing fifth edition back then, all I could think of is you know, uh, so like me as the 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 thief, you say, well, if you want, you know, you make your attack, and you add your dexterity with your short sword, and then you would roll a d six plus your uh plus your dex for damage if you'd like for a bonus uh, bonus action, you'd have your your dagger, and then you could do this, but don't. Don't add your modifier to it for the damage because yeah. it's your offhand. And you would go on and just lay it on me. I'm like, so I roll a d20. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's well, if you recall, actually in second edition, there was no such thing as finesse weapons, melee right. weapons that's were what all modifiers. That's all saying if we were playing modifier. fifth edition back then. Yeah. That would so, just be your,
0: that would, that's how you would do it back then is you would just give like a big, because you knew all this information, you wanted to get it out there.
1: It's, I didn't know how to disseminate it in right. a way that made yeah. you understand it because there's, there are some ways to go. Uh, let, let me ask you this. So when you, when was the last time you had a new player to a game?
0: Like somebody that had never played an RPG before,
1: never played an RPG or whatever RPG you're playing. They didn't know anything about it.
0: Oh, well, yeah. Just recently with the shadow run group, um, Three of them had never played Shadowrun, and two of them had no idea of the the story or the lore of Shadowrun.
1: Story and lore are kind of parenthetical to me, but
0: the... Yeah, nobody had ever played Savage Worlds when we were doing it that way, and nobody had ever played ICRPG when we switched.
1: Part of the benefit of playing a lot of games and having... A deep understanding of the rules, which as a GM, you should. Mm -hmm. Is that you can go, okay, what is relevant now? What are the layers of shit? What is the core? When I was young, I think I was just trying to dump everything on. But you don't realize that everything is connected to some other thing. And it's like, I don't need to tell you all of this information unless it's relevant. And you can and should probably be orchestrating scenarios that tease out some fringe things, but the players need to have a core understanding of the way things work. And -hmm. if they don't have a core understanding of the way things work, they're always just going to feel like the rules are an ever moving target and it's going to paralyze them from fucking doing anything. And they're just going to wait for you to tell them what they should and can be doing. So, I didn't really understand this early I just dumped all this information on you like I read the whole book like here's all the information It's like, but not all the information is relevant to you right now mm-hmm. what can you do based on what, what you want to do where are there exceptions so we have to kind of work in concentric circles and any given game the complexity of the rules in those circles is governed by the complexity of the rules ICRPG basically just has like maybe two circles Yeah, core rules and then kind of mild exceptions. Mm-hmm. D&D probably has three. Something like uh, the Mongo system or whatever probably has four or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be prohibitive uh, and probably the more layers based on the more experience the players have. more More experienced players can kind of stage in their head more nuance and complexity in the rules, whereas new players can't. And you think that everything might be intuitive because it's intuitive to you because you've been doing this for fucking long, but it isn't. It's just totally foreign concept. I mean, Mike has been playing with us for several years, and sometimes he still is like, wait, how does this work? I don't, I don't, uh, I'm going to do, uh, I'm gonna do an offhand. Attack. It's like, no, do you already, you already used a bonus action. Remember to use your second wind. So you can't use a bonus action for your offhand attack. And he goes, oh yeah, fuck. I right, I keep forgetting that. Yeah. It's, it's second nature to you and me. Mm-hmm but it's not to him because he is just concerned with what it is that he wants to do and forgets that it's tied to certain concepts. Uh, do you have more sophisticated methods of teasing out those different exceptions and introducing them into the game uh, once you have those core principles established? I don't play anything other than Dungeons & Dragons, really, so I don't really know if, if there's different tactics on that front.
0: Not really. Um Cause I was trying to think of when I first started trying to learn the rules of D and D back in the eight hey D and D days. I remember one time looking at my character sheet and saying like, you know, like seeing all these saving throws I was like, Oh, well wh- when do I use these saving throws? And then Dave started going into it and it almost seemed like he didn't want to stop. You know, he just like, I want to tell you. And then I was, you know, it was like rod staff wands. I was like, that sounds pretty, you know, That's easy enough to think of. But Dragon Breath, is that just any dragon? And he'd be like, okay, well, yeah, you know, Breath could be this, it could be this. And he would just go into it. And now, thinking of that, um, that's always been on the back of my mind. It's always been how you taught me to play AD&D back in the day. Because I brought that into 3rd edition, 4th edition. And then, as we started going into 5th edition, uh, actually, it was more towards the end of our 4th edition days is when somebody would create a character and start playing and they'd say, what is this? And I say, don't worry about it. When we get to it, we'll cross that bridge and I'll make sure that you're well aware of how it works. Uh, I just don't want to overload them too hard because there is a lot of information, no matter how simple the system is. It can be a lot like this fucking Marvel game that we're playing. Uh, Like I said, the system is super fucking easy, but it's so easy with these different charts and all that that it's difficult to wrap your head around how it works.
1: I mean, I can see that because there's a variety of different things that are at play in any given system and trying to wrap your head around everything at once is never going to be tenable. Mm -hmm. And there's... A few key ways to introduce different things into your game. You can't just throw your players into the deep end. Like, well, let's play DD. And we're right. just like, well, what? Well, what is DD? Well, make a character. Well, I don't really know what this thing is versus this thing. You're telling me put put some stats into your in your powers, and you go. Why is uh, okay? So uh I'm a rogue, and uh, so I need dexterity. But what, what does what is dexterity? Mm-hmm. What does it govern? Well, it just governs how like uh, nimble and and life you are. Okay, cool. What does that affect? What affects your ability to attack shit with things where you might need dexterity? Well, what are the things that I might need dexterity to do? And it's like, mm-hmm. but I can't just go randomly. Okay, I want dex to be high and strength to be low, and not really knowing what any of that means. You have to have some semblance of uh, I guess maybe you want to call it informed consent. You can't just have a, a player randomly go I want to be a wizard and uh, you know wizard stuff <laughs> you know because the wizard that's stuff. not it's like well what about wizard stuff you know here are the ways in which it delineates and as you go okay you know dumping an entire spell list in someone's lap is a little overwhelming you're mm-hmm. okay oh fuck I don't really know what all these spells do so you could guide the player a little bit with okay what kind of wizard do you want to be what sort of spells are interesting to you and maybe they would go well i don't know i mean i kind of want spells that are like uh you know attack spells like uh, ranged attacks that cause a lot of damage to one enemy okay cool here are some spells that do that here Uh, i want to be the kind of uh you know wizard that like helps my allies and like you know, provides a lot of uh, negative effects on enemies, a lot of them all at once. I want to be able to target a bunch of people. Okay, well, here are some spells that do that. And that's a qualitative assessment that you can quantify in the rules as you see fit. And it takes a lot of cajoling to get the players to talk in general terms as opposed to specific concrete terms, because they are likely a little apprehensive about stepping on some sort of landmines. But I think if you're thoughtful about communicating to them that, um, I, you know, just give me a sense of what kind of character, what sort of thing that you want to do, then you could be like, okay, here's how the the clarity for the sake of the rules goes. And how do we, get that result that you want, or how do you change what it is that you want to do based on the mechanics of the game? I don't know that I have a lot of real good tactics as to how to tease that out of players, mostly because I've brought up most of the players that i play. got Actually, every player that I play with now and almost every player that I've ever played with don't have any preconceived notions about the game. But... uh maybe you have some other tactics because you play with players that came in with certain notions or mm. like, I, I mean, I just like raised up players and I'm like, yeah, this is how you do it.
0: No, my whole thing, I have found that learning through doing has been the best way to do it. Of course, there's been a couple times that the players have, you know, they had got to question it over and over again Sometimes, you know, four or five times they say, what do I do again, which is totally fine. Uh, But I have found instead of giving just a big info dump, uh, have them continue to roll and look at the thing on their character sheet a few times. And that's just been what I found. That's why I like to teach through play now instead of just giving, you know, like giving them a piece of paper, which is just uh, the bullet points of rules.
2: Sure, <clears throat>
0: And I wanted to know if that was yours, if you found more benefits through teaching through play, or if you are still a fan of kind of giving the basics of the rules, at least up front.
1: The more experience I've got, the more I've aired on. Give a little bit, instruct a little bit. Mm-hmm. As opposed to try to give everything, And then expect players to remember that. You want to run something, a mechanics thing. You tell them a little bit of information and then you show them how it works by example. And then you build upon that because most people can't stage every contingency in their brain as abstract and then it becomes concrete. So try to make small arcs of things Mm. I want to illustrate how a certain mechanic works okay this is how fighting making a melee attack works and then go okay now you have how a melee attack works now we're going to go on to ranged attacks and then give them that information academically no now I'm going to illustrate to you how a melee attack works make some attack rules back and forth here we go and then, OK, And then now that you, you have that down, you make sure that that one corner of the rules are, you know, wrote, because mm. once you know something wrote, you don't have to think about it anymore. But when you start introducing more concepts into the game that are not solidified through doing, you read something, you hear something, you do something. I try to have the players do all of that. Mm hear it do it read it whatever yeah or how you even ta- write it if you can get them to write it down in some way oh, write here do see yeah then it solidifies it and then you go okay you know that and then now we move on to another thing that you don't know it's the same reason that i think that giving a, a new player a character beyond level one is too much because you learn everything about your character at level one and then you go to level two and there's more and all you have to learn at level two is what's new and there's not much new at each level, and you learn what's new at level three, and level four, and level five. Mm-hmm. But if you give a character, like a new player, a level five character, it's like here's eight thousand things that yeah, they can do. Yeah. And you're like, fuck, I can't. That it's paralyzing, and they're just like, I don't know. I make an attack, and you're like, that's it. You're mm-hmm. Like I don't. Well, okay, I don't know. Like I, I hit him with my sword. And you're like, <laughs> okay, that's fine. But well, you could I guess. do
0: this, this, or this or this.
1: Yeah, and and then you're just running their character for them. Yeah, but you pick you, one. It's the, it's the teach a man to fish yeah argument, right? If you, if you show them and you go internalize this thing as much as possible, do it a dozen times And I think rather than, uh, just giving someone, okay, so now you got that and it's like, no, you have to slow down. Is there anything that you do not understand about this mechanic? Mm-hmm. Because if you just assume they know it, the players won't correct you. Okay, yeah. you got that now, right? It makes sense, and they go, "Yeah, it makes sense." And it's like, but if you actually get, well, do you have any questions? Is there any ambiguity? Yeah, and then, and then, especially if you go like, "Okay, explain to me how it works," and they go, "Well, I mean, it's you know, it's like, okay, I'm just going to keep explaining it to you until you can explain it to me, and I agree that it's right." That's a pretty uh, high bar for a lot of things. And because we're just so ingrained to assume that everyone knows what we know because it makes sense to me. It's easy. It's like, well, but maybe it's not because you yeah. are just reading this book all day while you're at work or whatever.
0: Um, there was one when you were just talking about it, made me think of uh, one that actually came up a couple of years ago. Uh, like, okay, so we got melee down, no problem. Now let's go to range. And this I want to bring up because we're in a perfect situation. I want to teach you what is advantage and disadvantage. Now, you see, you want to shoot a bow, and you have an enemy right next to you. Uh, They are adjacent to you, so you're going to have disadvantage because they are so close, they can act very quickly, and they can fuck up your shot. And they're like, oh, okay, well, that that makes sense, but, you know, like, Legolas was able to do it, and I said, Legolas is a very experienced archer, and yes, down the road, after you get enough levels, there's a feat you can take where you would be able to do that. Like, oh, "Oh, really? Oh, that's fucking cool. Something to look forward to. But if you give them just that little bit of why the rule is that way, I think that also helps make rules stick a little bit more.
1: Yeah. Cause it solidifies it in their brain. Like it's difficult for us to remember how we learn something. If we're kind of people that learn by reading, mm-hmm. some people can learn by reading. And and I think that if you have that sort of temperament, then it probably makes you better suited to being a GM. But some most people don't learn that way. Mm -hmm. So you have to try to hit all throngs, all prongs of the ways in which people learn. They say it to you. They do it. They, you know, listen. And so it's just like it reinforces it at every turn so that you make sure that they know one aspect. It's better for them to know one or two aspects of the game perfectly than to know all of the aspects of the game a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm because they're just going to make all kinds of mistakes. So it's like, make sure it's a more slow and deliberate process, but it's like, you know, one aspect of the game perfectly. Everything else is a complete black box to you, but you know this one aspect per- perfectly. And what you don't realize is that a plenty of things flow from other things. Oh, I get it. You know, now I know how spells work. I know how, like, the whole concept of spell slots is one of the most confusing things for players to learn. But once they get it, they never forget how it works. Still to this
0: day, it is, it just boggles people's minds. Yeah. And it's
1: just like, man, thinking of how we but used I already to cast that spell. It's like, no, but you, it's just a slot. You just use a slot. It's yeah. Like slots versus spells.
0: Yep. And thinking back in the day of the, again, the AD and D and even third edition, cause third edition didn't do much better. Yeah. But yeah, the way that it, like how simple it seems to us now in fifth edition it's just like, man, and they still, people still can't really get their head around it. Love it. But either way, I think that is going to be an, uh, a podcast for us this week. Uh, you know what? If you want to send us some ideas on how to help people learn the games uh, through play or what is your way of doing it, send it to gmstudio at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of our uh, little ramblings here. If you think that you have something that you would want us to talk about or you want to understand a little bit more, let us know. We're here to fucking give some information. But for this week for Inside the GM Studio, I've been your host, Matt.
1: I have been David. I love you. Oh my god.